And uh, yeah, it's great to have Nigel with us. Um, if you missed us at the, the start, um, oh, there we go, another clap. Oh, you're too kind. We, they are really, too aren't kind. they? Um, yeah. Nigel is part of our uh, our Woodland Central congregation, and it's uh, it's a real privilege to, to have him with with us. Can I just um, pray for you now? So we're just going to pray for Nigel before we start. Father God, we thank you for Nigel. We thank you um, that he loves you, that he is a man after your own heart, that he uh, wants to serve you wholeheartedly. And um, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that as he comes to speak to us this morning, you'll anoint his words. And will you uh, help us to, to listen well? Will you give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying to each one of us this morning? Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Deborah. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. Um, just before I kind of crack into talking to you, there's been lots of notices, lots of things. I just want to pause and just take a moment to pray, if that's okay. So I'm just going to offer a little moment of silence. If there's anything that you just need to bring before God, and then I'm just going to pray as well. Is that okay? I, I know I need to do that. So I just want to say, God, we, we just take this moment now just to quieten ourselves before you and to bring before you the things on our hearts. Thank you, God, that you are the Lord of all. You know the secrets of our hearts. And, um, yeah, would you hear our prayers, Lord, and, and have mercy. God, today we remember before you areas of the world that are in conflict yeah, between Israel and Palestine, a conflict in Gaza and the West Bank. God, we pray in your mercy. Would you bring peace where there's conflict? Or we pray that over Ukraine where fighting is still going on. God, we pray in your mercy, would there be uh, an end to this conflict? Lord, in many places in the world where you know and see the pain and conflict that's going on, God, we pray that Jesus, that your spirit would be at work. We pray for your church this morning. Actually, where your church is in pain, where your church is persecuted, God, we pray for a strengthening for our brothers and sisters today. May your spirit rest on them. And may your spirit rest on us as we just come to your word. May you feed us and, and minister to us in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Well, it's lovely to be with you. And I'm speaking on the third part of the series on the shame game. I don't know how you found looking at shame the last couple of weeks. Not really a topic we talk about very much in church. And so when we did this at Central a few months ago, it was... Actually, surprisingly helpful. Many people said, oh, I've been around churches for a long time, but never really talked about this stuff. And um, I hope if that's been your experience of just sort of starting to unpack what shame is. Sometimes shame can be kind of hard to identify. It's, it's almost sort of the effect of it rather than the shame itself. So we're just going to look at a little quote. If this is new to you and you haven't been around it, uh, Brenny Brown, who... Um, does a lot of talking around shame. There's this quote, an shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. 
And so in this series, as kind of trying to understand what shame is, but also how it works for us, in our, our first um, part of it, just as a recap, we were looking at the story in Genesis and recognizing that um, actually where shame happens, actually God seeks you in your shame. And God doesn't just kind of leave you to get on with it, but God actually pursues you and finds you as God comes into the garden to find Adam and Eve. God pursues you. But then we recognize that shame, the natural thing when we feel exposed, is to hide and to cover ourselves, and that God himself wants to cover us. And actually, we have to kind of come into the light. We have to acknowledge where things are difficult, where we've maybe been hiding under shame, and in doing so, that God meets with us. So today, what are we doing? Well, we're looking at where are you? Really asking the question, where, where are you? It's probably one of the most painful questions in the Bible where God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? And God asks a question, he already knows the answer. <laughs> He's not asking a question for his sake. Oh, where have I put my glasses? He knows. And so he's asking, where are you? Actually, that's a question for us today. Where, where are you? And God actually knows us and sees us. I'm asking the question is, is it possible to live shame-free in this messy, tricky, complicated world that we live in? Are we allowed, are we able to live without shame in our lives? And shame is everywhere. Uh, we see it in social media, the sort of shaming of public figures, people falling. I mean, people, it's just a constant. The more you become aware of it, you realize that shame is operating all the time. But shame is a bit like a prison. Uh, that quote from Brené Brown, this idea that actually we put ourselves in prison. We deem ourselves unworthy, unlovable. Actually, we're the ones that can often hold against ourselves shame and stopping ourselves living free. One of the things we love to say, God isn't part of the problem. Sometimes as Christians, we think, man, it's so complicated being Christian because now I've got all this like God guilt and I should be better than I am and I know I'm not and suddenly God becomes sort of even more complicated. But we'd say God is part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so we're going to just look at a passage, Isaiah 61. We'll read this together and this is just going to frame the backdrop of what we're going to look at, which is four characters that Jesus meets and how he interacts with them around their shame and we read about that in the gospels but we're going to start this this is Isaiah 61 it says this the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. I love the insteads that we're going to read here. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Planting for the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you'll inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. 
At the start of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, Jesus reads these verses from a scroll. And in doing so, he says, Today, this prophecy is being fulfilled in your hearing. He is declaring, I am that one where the spirit of the sovereign Lord is resting on me. It frames the start of his ministry as he goes on. He identifies with that, that that is what he is about as a saviour and the anointed one. And we're going to find four characters will be familiar to many of you that Jesus meets with, but we're going to look at it of how Jesus meets them in their shame. So the first one we're going to look at is the Gerasian demoniac. And um, there's a couple of little verses, um, if we have a little look. A Gerasian demoniac is someone who's been living in tombs, who's been oppressed by demonic um, forces and powers. He's a victim. He's messed up. And to be honest, these powers, I don't know if he deserves it or not, but they're cruel. And the shame that he's been experiencing is that he's been lonely. He's been isolated. He's been cut off. He's in distress, and he's oppressed by this demonic force. He's maybe felt worthless in that these things are done to him. He's been a victim. He's not chosen this. And his behavior is, in many ways, a response to his pain. And so Jesus meets him. And there's a power encounter. There's a dynamic, a profound thing where the demonic oppression is lifted off him. Goes into these pigs. The pigs run into a river, into the lake and die. And Jesus is with him. And there's these incredible words. It says... When they came to Jesus, this is the villagers who found out about this news, they found the man who had been demonized, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And the next slide says that the man asked to go with Jesus, and it's one of the harshest moments of Jesus. Don't you ever think that? Jesus, that's a bit harsh. Where he says, can I go with you? Which seems very reasonable. And Jesus says, no, you can't. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So what was going on there? Sure, there's a power encounter. We know this man is freed. This man was in a prison of oppression and that Jesus had freed him. But this lovely phrase, he was clothed and in his right mind. Just like the Isaiah passage around being clothed with beauty, he was clothed and his mind was restored. There was order. He was able to be present, sitting before Jesus. He was whole-minded. In fact, he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to be with Jesus. And Jesus was like, actually, you can't be with me, but you can do something for me to go and tell the good news, go and speak. In fact, go and proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. He was holding a garment of despair, praise, rather than a spirit of despair. Jesus sends him out to be a minister. And in doing so, as his shame has been lifted, he then has a voice that he's able to speak. But more than that, he goes to people. Before he was running away from people, but now he has a role, a purpose. Before he was kept on his own, but now he's been established as a minister. We love to say that God turns victims into ministers. It's an internal work of the Spirit that means that we, even out of the things that we've faced and the pain, God uses that in his graciousness, in his amazingness, to help us to minister to others. So Jesus takes someone who was ostracized on the outside, lifts their shame, frees them, 
and then appoints them to be a herald of good news, maybe for others who are in that place of uh, captivity. The next one we're going to look at is the woman at the well. This is, we read in John 4, Jesus has this conversation with her around water and needing water. She, in fact, has had a broken past where she's had many husbands, many marriages that have failed, and even the person she was with at the time wasn't her husband. What's her shame? Well, her shame was a relational one of failure, of sexual failure, of relational failure, of marriage breakdown, of getting it all wrong. She was shunned by the community. This is why she was gathering water at midday when no one else was around. The hottest part of the day is never when you go and get water. She was hiding. She was wanting to be unseen. She wants to be hidden and not seen by anyone. A victim, perhaps, of men. Voiceless. And so Jesus has this profound conversation with her, talking about drinking water, but talking a lot more than that. And in the end, something's happened where her shame has been lifted. She speaks to the very person who understands her, but doesn't condemn her, but actually lifts her up. And so she goes off to the village. This is the same community that knows everything about her and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the whole village came out of the town and made their way towards him. You don't say that if you have a shame problem. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. You don't say that to the community that gossiped and knowing about, again, another failure that you've made. So she was given a voice. She was reintroduced to her community. Again, like the previous guy, she was now a voice speaking into the community that had been shunned by. She was drinking from the living water that was Jesus. Jesus was binding up her heart. Jesus said, I see you and I know you so important for people to be seen and known and again where we are under shame we don't want to be seen and we don't want to be known because we'll feel exposed around all the stuff Jesus bestowed on her a crown of beauty instead of the ashes of her past failings so again Jesus has lifted shame and in doing so she's living this shame free life the third person we're going to look at is Peter. Now, this is a, a tricky one, especially if you're a Christian or a Christian leader or have done anything around that. Here's Peter, the Keeney of Keenies, who at the time of Jesus' trial denied him three times. We read this account in John about the restoration of Peter where they're having breakfast. Peter's shame was that he'd failed. He had completely got it wrong. He had denied Jesus. But more than that, he had um, let Jesus down. He had sort of disowned the very thing that he was supposed to be passionate about. He had made a massive mistake, a ministry failure of epic proportions. And quite rightly, he was disqualified from being able to carry on. So while they were back in Galilee, he was fishing again. Oh well, that didn't work. So Jesus speaks to him and asks him this question, do you love him? Three times. And the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. All right. Why was Peter hurt that he'd been asked three times? Well, the reason is when you deal with someone's 
shame and stuff, it's painful. It's painful dealing with the things that have hurt you. It's not that God was hurting you. It's not that Jesus was hurting him. This was the pain that Peter had that Jesus was putting his finger on. When you deal with things that cause you shame, it will be painful because there's pain there, which is why there's shame. And so we mustn't be surprised that there can be a pain in this transaction that goes on. But Jesus is doing more than that. He's going to the very place where, where he failed, where Peter failed, and said, I want to, I see that, and I know you, but I'm going to restore you and reappoint you. Jesus forgave Peter, renewed him, commissioned him to be a rock. And we see this just a little later on in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands up and instead of denying Jesus, preaches the most epic preach, the first ever preach of this church to a huge crowd declaring who Jesus is in front of the very people in the city, in the very place where Jesus was killed to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. So he moved from a place of fear to fearlessness, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the poor. This is a real key one for people in Christian ministry, thinking, if I'm a Christian leader or involved in some way, I can't fail or mess up. That would be really bad. And it is. But Jesus also gets it that we've all failed and we've all messed up, which is why we need saving and forgiving and why we need to keep doing that. Now, there is a high bar on leadership. It's really important. But it's also really clear that um, actually as leaders and as people, we want to live without shame around our past and failings, but be able to move forward. Finally, one of my faves, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, his shame probably was the fact that he loved money. And that was really what he pursued to the point that he wasn't interested in anyone or anything else. Jesus comes into town, looks up a tree, stops, and he says this. Zacchaeus stood up. Well, he says, Zacchaeus, it's a great thing. I need to have dinner with you. Zacchaeus is like, oh my gosh, no one ever says that to me. And this great little conversation happens. And Zacchaeus responds by saying this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, which he has, out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus was like a traitor. He was someone who was working for the Romans, in it just for himself. In this moment something profound has happened where his shame of being cast out again has been transformed where he is publicly repenting publicly saying I've got things wrong and I'm going to do things differently and in doing so not only repenting but in showing remorse therefore wanting to repair relationships and put things right there's one thing saying sorry but there's another thing then putting things right And Zacchaeus just goes for it big time. Joy will be theirs is one of the things that um, Isaiah 61 says. Those people set free, there will be joy. There's kind of joy on Zacchaeus. Joyfully, I'm going to give this stuff away. I'm going to care for people now. I'm going to put things right. He's had a profound encounter with Jesus. For all of these characters, Jesus has met them where there's been shame. And shame has been lifted off. One of the reasons why shame is lifted off is that often it can feel like a, a weight, just a sort of dampening that is hard to identify but can rest on you. 
And I guess part of us wanting to talk about it is to acknowledge, yeah, shame can be hard to unpick. So for me, one of the areas of shame in my life was around some of the sexual brokenness that has happened and mistakes and failings in my life. And I didn't really realize it, that that was an area that um, actually there was shame there. And it was only in prayer and with people that realized, oh, this is, this is a kind of a weighty thing that is just in the kind of inner work of my life, a weight that I'm carrying. And the thing is, is shame a sin? Do you need to confess shame? Sorry, God, that I've shamed again. I'm not sure if it is. I mean, if you feel you need to, then please do. But I feel like it's this thing where it's a consequence of sin. And we need to acknowledge that that's part of what goes on in the stuff of of our lives. And so, in some ways, wanting to just draw attention to it today, I want to say this. I think Jesus comes, Jesus sees you and knows you, and when there's an encounter with Jesus, shame can be lifted off you. But it's quite hard to lift shame off ourselves, certainly if we're the ones who've put ourselves in that kind of shame place. But God wants to lift us from shame. He wants us to know forgiveness, but also that cleansing and restoring. And the real thing is, if we can't deal with it here in church, where are you going to deal with it? I mean, I don't know other shame clinics around at the moment. I would have booked myself in. You go and talk to your doctor about your shame. How's your shame going at the moment? But this is the place. This is a healing community to find and pursue that. So I believe there is a spiritual anointing, as we read about in that Isaiah 61, to bring freedom to people. And part of that is to release people from shame. Now what I'm not going to do is now invite you all to the front if you've got some shame and expose you all down the front. It's not going to work like that, but I'm going to get Matt to come up the worship team. Because what I do want to do is say, God, we want to have an encounter with you. We want to have a moment where we are honest with you and before you around how we acknowledge the things in our heart this might be very new to you this might be really familiar like oh gosh this stuff again but what we want to do is we want to sort of find a place where we can acknowledge and bring before God the psalmist psalm 139 says God test my heart show me is there anything anxious where God is there shame in my life God now maybe you've already been asking that as we've been looking at this series God is there is there a weight on me is there areas that doesn't feel comfortable then we want to say God would you be lifting off shame but it might be that this is part of your work that's ongoing with God of God would you show me if there is how do I how do I move away from under that how can I live free from shame so what I'm going to do I'm going to invite you to stand I'm just going to pray and we're just going to sort of take a moment that it may be that you're not going to sing along to this but you just want to in this worship space say God yeah, would you show me my heart and is there anything that you need me to, that you want to do and encounter me? So Jesus, thank you that you see us and that you know us. And we want to welcome your spirit here to come and search our hearts. I want to thank you, God, that, that um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you, Jesus, to set people free and you still do that today. 
We want to pray, God, that your spirit would move on us now. On our hearts and our minds, Lord. If there's places where we feel again that um, maybe there is a weight of shame and we don't know what to do with it, God, we want to bring it to you. We want to say, Jesus, would you help us? So we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.